0: Hey, I'm Michael Durinda,
1: and I'm Jake Bennett
0: and welcome to episode 80 of the North Meet South web podcast.
1: Hey everybody welcome back episode 108 is that what you said? No this is no one. <laughs> Oh, I was like I'm gonna miss this I'm gonna miss this what is he saying I missed it oh dang it all What was it, episode 80? Definitely not. Not, yeah, not 100, not at
0: all. Episode 80. Just Episode
1: 80. 80. I forgot I was putting it at the top of my list here. Episode 80. So I don't forget. So when I have to do the thing at the end where we do the thanks for listening, show notes, all that stuff. So I don't forget. I have to put put myself a little note there. Mm -hmm. Episode 80. Well, I am um, thoroughly not knackered not that just exhausted are those same they're not the same so you are you are knackered am i okay i thought knackered was like inebriated but not that no no No. stonkered would be inebriated stonkered okay sloshed no i'm not (laughs) pished pished if you're scottish (laughs) pished oh my yeah i'm just knackered just straight up knackered dude it's been a day uh, it's been a good day, but it's been a day. I what if, built. What have you got yourself bed. into? I built a bed for Harrison today, Ah. August. So yes,
0: in the big in the big boy
1: upgrading the big from boy a, bed. Yes, you got in it in a bigger yep.
0: bigger big boy because Eli's mm-hmm. in a big boy bed, but it's like it's like a little boy big boy bed. So it's the mm. it's the bed that he's gone into after the cot, but not obviously his final single bed. He's sure. just in a little. So it's still the same cot size mattress. It's just yep. not in the cot. So that's yep. where nope. he's at at the moment.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I remember when my kid, hes the, he's been in the in the crib the longest. He calls it his cage. You make me <laughs> sleep in my cage tonight? Yeah, your cage, buddy. Um, but he finally figured out how to crawl out of it. He's been able to crawl out of that thing for forever. He just never realized it. And then the other night he just came out, Daddy, I am I, I need a drink. And I'm like, Where did you come from? Like, how did you just get out of that stinking crib? So anyway, now he's so excited. So the cool thing is, like, I built uh, my oldest uh, bed when he kind of got out of the crib stage. And so mm -hmm. I get to build a matching one for my youngest. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, but it's been, it was really hot out today. And so I was outside sweating like crazy and just working in the heat. It was, but I'm good. Good, that's good. That's good. Yeah, what's your, yeah, we've what's your had, day held?
0: We've uh, I mean, we've had a bit of a break in the wet weather at least, so I got a chance to go out and uh, mow down my weed garden yesterday, which was nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's actually not as bad as I thought it was, It's it's quite sensible. When I cut the grass, it looked mostly like grass, and you know, the weeds were kind of around the edges, which is good, which means the grass is kind of lush in the middle, but I got the the line trimmer out, you know, did, went around the edges and got the blower out and cleaned up after myself and yeah, had, had a pretty good time. We sent, my brother took uh, Eli for a walk yesterday and re-went and had a nap, so I went and made the most of that. Yeah, how's re-feeling these days? Uh, she's sort of been fighting a cold on and off for the last three weeks, so it comes and then it goes and then it comes again, so but she's 30 weeks today, so.
1: As I say, you just got like, are, what, two more months? Okay. Yeah, it's in October, right? Pretty
0: much right? like that. Yeah, we got twelve weeks, so um, the baby will be here no later than the thirtieth of September. So oh, okay, oh, okay. I'm thing. sorry, I
1: was off. I thought it was October. My bad.
0: Well, the the due date is the fourth of October, but okay. because she'd prize cesarean, they won't let her go to forty weeks.
1: So gotcha, it makes sense. It'll be the
0: thirtieth of September at the latest. That is, if the baby's not here by then, then we're scheduled for a cesarean. But, you know, hopefully, sometime between. 38, well, you know, 36 and 38, 37 and 38 preferably um, and, and not three <laughs> weeks earlier like Eli was. I'd, yeah, I'd, for sure. I'd like to avoid having to to do that, especially now. You know, two years ago it was okay. It was, it was an inconvenience but, you know, it was fine but I'd, I'd rather not be in the hospital for three weeks yeah, no thanks. Uh, just with everything that's going on at the moment. so But yeah, For things sure. are tracking well, everything. You know, the baby's where it's supposed to be and upside down and partying and the placenta's out of the way this time. So it's looking to be smooth sailing at this stage. So fingers second crossed, not from wood, all that stuff. Yeah, that's it. Yep, that's awesome.
1: Good, man. Well, I that, said to is
0: as, as soon as the second one's out, I'm going to go into the theater next and i just have them get the scissors out and just... <laughs> Not, not and for all you chance.
1: Americans, the theater is the uh, surgery unit, I think, right? As we're talking the about, I think they actually called yeah. the operating room. Thank you. I think that's mm-hmm. what they actually technically would call it in America too. But I don't think most of us would know that. The theater. Yeah. Right. Yep. Get it all taken care of at once. Why not two for one deal? That's right. Hey Doc, one in and take one his? out. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Hey so, man, yeah, I got a couple things on my list. On. Uh, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, no, hit us. I got nothing. I got nothing.
1: Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, no problem. So I've got a couple things to talk about. So um, we've switched a lot of stuff over to Cloudflare recently, and um, I think it was a mystery sort of at first. Uh, it was like one of those things for me where like it was like Redis and Laravel. Now Redis and Laravel is great, and I use we use it all the time now, but. I feel mm-hmm. like unless you actually spend a little bit of time looking at it, it can be confusing as to, like, where it's set up or, like, where all of the settings are because there's, like, it's in database.php, it's in q.php, it's yeah, in horizon.php. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you got to, exactly. You just kind of got to spend a little bit of time digging into I never
0: it. I never look at the right one the first time either.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so for Cloudflare, like, that was um, a little bit of uh, a mystery that I unraveled a little bit. It's not complicated, really, and you, uh, you might be already aware, but... Uh, Thought I could talk about that a little bit. Uh, I've been working on then ping me's landing page. Um, mm-hmm. So, a couple of things about Tailwind UI, as well as pricing and features, like how we were breaking that down and kind of like what our thoughts have been on that. Uh, and then also, this new pattern with uh, uh, it's not new, it's not new, it's pipelines, which we use. But Zangle has a little library that they've kind of sprinkled on top of Laravel pipelines. It gives mm-hmm. you a little bit of syntactic sugar to do some of the uh it what it reminds me of, it reminds me of HTTP, the HTTP client that comes with Laravel, as yep. opposed to like using Guzzle. You can do all the same things, mm-hmm. but there's just a couple of mm-hmm. nice cities that are added in there. Uh so those are kind of the three things that I that I had. Um so Cloudflare, homepage, Zangle. Which one tickles your fancy? Uh let's talk about Cloudflare first, I guess. Sure. Yeah, so have you had much experience with Cloudflare?
0: Only only things that I'm using for, uh, you know, caching purposes. So putting the on AU website sits behind Cloudflare. My blog sits behind Cloudflare just for, yeah. you know, those blue moon scenarios where, where I get a ton of traffic at once. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, what's... Often.
1: Yeah, like for you, like what's the primary benefit have been like what what has been the uh, and is that why typically like you want to have that sort of built-in web application firewall that they uh, that they give you so that if there's an attack or something you can kind of mitigate it.
0: It's it's less around the attack and more around just having it always being available, um and and having it fast around the world because I host it on a server in Sydney, but for someone in the US, that's you know the latency introduced by that that trip is a couple of hundred milliseconds. And then someone in Europe, it's probably 300 milliseconds depending on where you are and the provider that you're on. So using something like Cloudflare means that it's always going to be snappy irrespective mm-hmm. of, of where you're viewing it from. And when it's, when it's a blog and it's just realistically static text, it's not images and videos and things like that. You just want it to load. You don't want to have it, you know, you don't want to have to wait a second or two for a page to load. So it's it's sure. nice from that perspective. Um and, and that's the main thing that I use it for. I don't really look at any of the other tooling that Cloudflare use. I don't even use Cloudflare's DNS, the the one
1: Okay. Yeah. So I mean like there I feel like there are a number of benefits um to using Cloudflare. Like I feel like you touched on some of the most important ones, which is um that you know they have locations like edge locations all around the globe, and so mm-hmm. the response times are are pretty quick overall. Um, in addition, uh, depending on how you have it set up, and I can dig into that a little bit, you can either you can en- enable like a web application firewall, which will basically intercept. It basically puts the Cloudflare in between the requests coming in and your actual web server. So there's a tiny bit of intelligence. I think it adds about like hundred milliseconds, maybe. Mm-hmm. That might not even be correct. But um, to the latency, but it provides you some really nice features such as like DDoS protection. So like if somebody's hammering your site, it kind of puts a little bit of a blocker in there and says Mm -hmm. what it'll do is it will kind of um, almost rate limit their requests to your web server and it'll make them wait like a second or two before they can continue on. Uh, which will protect you from the sort of DDoS attacks. And then uh, it also adds a lot of monitoring and things like that too, for free, which is pretty cool. Um, So, so there's that. uh, And then there's also like, it comes with like free SSL for everybody, right? Again, kind of like whether you use them just for DNS or whether you use them for proxy. So um, maybe I start there. So you know the way that we did is we switched over our entire main domain to cloudflare so we all of our name servers for that domain now point to Cloudflare, And when you do that, you have an option for each one of your records that you're hosting with them. Uh, you can either set it as DNS only, which basically changes nothing about the way it's currently routing and just uses, you know, uh, your, your DNS records are now hosted at Cloudflare rather than wherever your previous provider was, or they have that proxy option, right? And that proxy option is what yeah. gives you all of these kind of cool benefits. One of those benefits and the, the confusing part for me was like, where is the SSL stuff happening? And that was the part for me that I didn't understand, right? And I think mm-hmm. that, was, that was sort of what I was talking about when I said like, here's, here's how this made sense to me. So the way that it works is if you have proxy turned on for from one, from one of your DNS records, what they will do is they, will, they have their own certificate that they will issue for your root domain as a wildcard root domain, right? So they have SSL for all of your domains. For your root domain, for anything that you put on there. So if you ever use sub-domains. their proxy, yep, for all your subdomains, exactly. So if you ever use their proxy option, it will have secured HTTPS for your for your site. Uh, but what it does, right, is it just forwards that traffic to wherever it was previously, right? So you could you, you could even have have like an HTTP. It could be forwarding to an HTTP on your server, so you don't have a, you don't have a cert on your server, right? Yeah, and in a lot of the, situations, it is. Yeah, like if you turn,
0: for example, if you just turn the um, secure offloading on on Cloudflare, it will still be HTTP traffic from Cloudflare to your server unless you explicitly configure it otherwise. Which is which is fairly normal. Like all of our stuff that sits behind a HA proxy load balancer, we offload SSL or offload secure certificates on the HA proxy, and then from the HA proxy. To the application servers themselves is just HTTP traffic.
1: Yeah. Now, the only, I think, I feel like the only risk you really run with that is if you still allow HTTP traffic over that, it's a possibility that somebody could expose your IP address. And if they can expose your IP address, if they can figure out what the IP address of the server that you're actually trying to, you know, that they're actually sitting in front of, they could technically send HTTP traffic over that. But you, it's not really a risk because not it's really. not like they can force one of your yeah. clients to do HTTP and sit in the middle. So Especially if not-
0: your application servers are sitting on, on a Class A network. Like if they're not exposed to the internet, you can have the I'll give you that IP address. You're not going to get to it anyway.
1: Sure. Yep. Yep. That's a good point. Uh, so they do, however, offer this option though that you can say, you know, maybe you maybe who already have a pro, a server that has HTTPS on it, right? So maybe before you had Cloudflare, you already had a certificate issued. That's no problem either. They'll handle that as well. So they'll take yeah. the initial traffic, they'll HTTPS, and then they will pass the traffic to you over HTTPS, right? And you can force HTTPS over that connection, whatever. So you get you have secure traffic to Cloudflare, secure traffic from from Cloudflare to your server and all the way back through. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the part that was confusing for me. So that's full mode. But then they also have this thing called full strict. And what full strict does is it handles the, the secure connection from your client to Cloudflare. And then from Cloudflare to your server, what they will do is they will issue what's called an origin certificate so they will create a new certificate and then you put that on your machine and the cool thing about those is that they're good for like 15 years right yeah. so it doesn't matter you never have to really think about installing a cert on your server ever again you install that mm-hmm. one origin certificate one time and you're done and they will handle all of the front end like they'll handle renewing that root wildcard certificate on cloudflare so your https is always kind of up to date from your client to, to cloudflare and then the connection from Cloudflare to you is fifteen years later. You don't have to until you don't have to worry about it. So yeah, that was pretty cool because that's always like one of those things I feel like kind of hangs over your head, especially when you have like a lot of domains. Like you end up mm-hmm. getting an email on some random day that like, "Hey, your certificate is expiring," and it's like, "Holy crap! You better have caught that email." I don't know if that's ever happened to you, where like a cert expires out from underneath you. Has that ever happened? You you don't do that not stuff. For, you said. I remember not you for telling me that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For work, our stuff is is managed. So like all of our certificates are part of um, system patching. So we've got a package that has all of our wildcard certificates and things like that in there. So if if the systems team updates the certificates, they just yum yeah, update all of the servers and that's all done. For, for my personal stuff, Taylor Otwell actually published back in 2017 an article on how to use the free wildcard SSL mm-hmm. on Forge and Cloudflare. And how to get that set up in in full, like full SSL end to end encryption, so we can link that up as well.
1: Yeah, that's like the full strict he was talking about as well. And that's actually the that was the blog post that I saw. But I still, even in looking at that, I didn't completely understand the flow. But that once I once I kind of dug in a little bit, that made a little bit more sense to me. So. Mm-hmm. I've been switching over to that as much as possible, like using Cloudflare. And like so if you're fortunate enough to have a team that can do that for you, that's excellent. Um, the situation in which I've had this happen to me is like at a, the nonprofit I help at. right? They don't have anybody technically minded there. Mm-hmm. And so if, that's, if that email comes through and I didn't see it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, we I, mean, I actually just convinced them to start using O'Deer as well. So that's good. So like, um, that'll monitor those certificates. That's
0: that's good. Like ODA gives you that extra thing because it's not just your certificate expiring, but we've seen probably twice in the last three months where some intermediary certificates have expired. And when an intermediary expires and you're not on the pulse with that, lots of weird things can start happening because it'll be things that you've been connecting to, for example, that have worked for a long time. And if you don't update the intermediaries or the people you're connecting to don't update the intermediaries, then those things can stop working as well. So having something like ODIA and and using that to monitor your sites and things to make sure that everything is working and all of the certificates in the in the chain are valid, because they can you know be revoked at any time. Yeah. And typically, no one does anything about it. You, you get the email. You don't get the email. Maybe you don't notice it, and then. The Next thing you know, one day all of your stuff just stops working. And we saw that, you know, a few weeks ago where that stiff and then half the internet went blamo. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of the half the internet going blamo, the only downside to using Cloudflare is when something goes wrong, you see just how much of the internet relies on Cloudflare because it all yep. just goes kaput all at once.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. The good thing is, you have an excuse if that happens. It's like, hey, listen, yeah. you can't even freaking get to anything else either. So, like, that's right. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I was, I was, because I use
0: Idea for some stuff, and I use PingPing, Ping, uh, which is a project from Stefan Bauer, and and when they had the issue with Cloudflare recently, I was talking to him a little bit around, like how that monitoring works, because it was it was not all of Cloudflare that had issues, but the way, I don't envy them the the task of like monitoring stuff, and it's very difficult to monitor if someone's application or someone's website is up. If the thing that you are relying on to, to determine that is not working. And so a lot of Europe was compromised by that issue, which meant that when they were doing the checks from two places in Europe, well, both of them couldn't actually reach your site in the US, for example. So then, you know, they sent an alert saying, Yeah, this is this is down. Um so they've they worked really hard and and really quickly over that that weekend where that happened to to roll out some additional checks and and check from different locations around the world because, you know, it's hard to – and then you have to figure out like if I've got two two negatives from Europe but the U.S. is okay and, and a ping from Australia is okay, you know, is the site okay? Can you say that that's maybe a localized impact as opposed to total outage of the site? So I think doing uptime monitoring is even trickier than doing – Scheduled task monitoring by the sounds. Of yeah, things.
1: for sure. Yeah, I, I bet that's true. Yeah. Hey, one other reason I wanted to bring this up is because I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, this idea of like one year certificates um, in the browser makers. So, um, basically, what it sounds like is it sounds like Chrome. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to misquote anything here. Uh, Google's latest announcement, um, although it sounds major, is just one more step towards Apple, the inevitability of one-year validation for SSL and TLS certs. Yeah, and since Apple cleared the way for them to do it with their approach, Google has clear passage to do what they've longed to do for seven years. several years. The only change is that they've now put their official stamp on it. Starting September 1st, 2020, public SSL TLS certs will only be issued with a one-year validity period from all major certificate authorities. Mm. So what that means... Is that so? Because some people might be saying, "Okay, well, so what? So what about Cloudflare? Like, what's the big deal, right?" I mean, you know, I can still issue a five-year cert from my yeah. my certificate sure. authority. But what I'm saying but is, then very quickly, Safari that's not going to be the Chrome, case.
0: Yeah, when Safari and Chrome and Firefox all show that a certificate that is longer than 398 days in expiration is invalid, um, yeah, you're gonna have hurts. lots of issues. And this, this, I guess without reading the article I'll link it up in the show notes but without reading the article before I make a a wild claim I would assume it's it's to avoid these issues where like those intermediaries that get signed for sure. 5 years or 10 years or whatever and then there's a there's an issue discovered in the the OpenSSL or or in the you know encryption protocols or whatever that yeah. necessitates them having to revoke the certificate well it means that you know, those things usually don't happen until two or three years after the certificate is signed. So to to have a certificate that's renewed every twelve months as opposed to every five years minimizes the service area of yeah. that impact. And and like I said before, we've we've seen this now sort of two or three times in the last few months where it's had significant impact to heaps of people across the place. So um it I doesn't think it's, seem like an unreasonable requirement. Yeah, I think it's the the right thing. But you know, the certificate authorities and the and the companies that are responsible for that, you know, they'll slug you a thousand dollars up front to get a certificate for ten years or whatever. And it's great for them. Um, but it's you know, I think security, especially now with so much stuff is transacted across the internet, it's um it's definitely important, I think, to to keep that security as tight as possible.
1: Yeah, and so like you have options, right? So it's like, okay, now that you're going to have to do this, you can either renew your certs manually every year. That's an option. Or you can use something like Let's Encrypt, and those issue for like three months at a time, whatever, and those just continue. Or you can use something like Cloudflare, where they manage that front-end cert for you. They yeah. just automatically renew that. And then you can still put that 15-year origin cert because it doesn't matter. The browser is never seeing that. That's, that's encrypted tunnel traffic between Cloudflare and your mm-hmm. server. Um, yes so maybe so anyway yeah mm, I think well, I'm pretty sure that's how that works yeah it's part of well it's a, It's practically a self-signed cert like it's not even
0: yeah yeah because it's yeah because Cloudflare is signing the certificate to the server right. and it's saying yeah okay this is fine so yes yeah I, I suppose that's right theoretically the, the browser will never see the certificate between Cloudflare and, and your server so it's probably right. fine yeah, probably yeah exactly
1: so so anyway, that's another option, right? You can do it that way. And that's why, that's kind of like, in, in addition to the other things, I think the initial problem that kind of pushed me towards using the Cloudflare solution was that I had, I've had i had Let's Encrypt break a couple of times. And in one case in particular, I was like, I spent practically a day on trying to figure out why this dumb thing wouldn't work after like a server upgrade. Like yeah. a, there was like Python who was having an issue. I'm like, forget this. Like it's not worth it. Like there's other, op, there's other alternatives to this solution, yeah. you know, of using exactly. Let's Encrypt. And so anyway, yeah, so that's kind of all the stuff I had on Cloudflare. Um, And it sort of feels like Stripe. Like when you start getting into Stripe, like you realize, oh my gosh, there's all these other amazing products that I didn't even know existed that I now have access to because I have a Stripe account that's hooked up with a bank account, right? Um, And Cloudflare is the same. It's like you get into it and it's like, oh, wow. Like I I not only get the web application firewall and it also will cache static assets for me. So it acts as like a CDN, right? and pushes that stuff out mm-hmm. to the edge. Um, you can, I mean, you get all sorts of crazy cool stuff. So yeah. So yeah, Cloudflare is pretty awesome. We've been using it a lot.
0: Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely an amazing solution if, you know, in your, in your situation, especially for the the nonprofit and if you're a single developer somewhere to be able to offload that stuff yeah, and, and not absolutely. have to worry about it.
1: Yep. Hey, um, we could probably jump into then ping me next. Um, yeah. So I've been working on the homepage. Um, do we want to talk about that and pricing and like features or did you have anything else you want to talk about before that?
0: No, let's, let's, let's dig in. Cause you've been, cool. you've been working hard on that and, and yeah. getting it up to scratch, which is, which is exciting to see. And uh, we could probably talk a little bit about our release plans now as well. And, and our strategy for actually bringing this thing to, to life, to existence, to, putting it in the hands of people.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we've had a sucky, crappy homepage up for a long time. Pre Tailwind UI, if you will. Um, And so using Tailwind UI has been been great. Uh, The thing I like about Tailwind UI, though, as well, is it's so much better than Bootstrap because Bootstrap was so difficult to customize, right? Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about Tailwind UI is I can kind of take a pattern and use it almost as inspiration. Copy and paste that code and then quickly modify anything that I need to uh, to get a custom look and feel rather than just dropping it in out of the box. Right. A perfect example is like in one of the situations they have a light header with a dark stripe kind of beneath that. And we, we switched that, right? So we made it so like the header was actually had a dark gradient behind it and then transitions to like a white page underneath it. Um, and that stuff is so simple to do with Tailwind UI. But before, mm-hmm. like <laughs> and pretty much any other template uh, that you would download or pay for, it's nearly impossible to do that sort of stuff. It just makes it so difficult. And with Tailwind UI, it's just so beautiful and so easy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been working on that. Um, you've made some some suggestions. I'm totally like a light and white, bright looking. Um, that's like my aesthetic. And you've kind of pushed me a little bit like, hey, no, it would be cool if we'd actually did like a little bit more of like a darker, not a darker mm-hmm. theme. That's not even really the word we're looking for. But it's yeah. just like higher contrast, I think, maybe is the better word for it. Yeah. Instead of like everything being stark white it's like, no, add, add some like dark colors in there and like give it some good contrast and good pop. So we've been mm-hmm. working on that a little bit. So that's been cool. Uh, so we're just kind of like refining the message. Um, I'm, I'm going to be adding some interactive elements to the front page, which I'm really excited about. Alpine makes this stuff pretty, pretty freaking easy, um, mm-hmm. which has been really fun. So yeah, we're rocking the tall stack on this and uh, that's been really enjoyable. It's so nice and easy to get stuff start, started and set up with that. Um, so that's been good. And then the last section that we've been working on and arguing about has been the features in the pricing section. So basically, what are the core features? What things need to be different between the different tiers? And then what are our actual price points going to be? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've had some good discussions around that. So uh, we're still working on kind of where we want the actual price points to fall. But do we want to talk at all about the actual price points or do you just want to talk about the features?
0: No, I think we'll leave the we'll leave the pricing itself out, but I do want to talk about how we how we're sort of thinking about modeling the pricing and and how I think it makes sense for for this type of solution, especially the way that we're selling it as a as a Laravel specific thing. So, some of the competitors in the market will sell this based on the number of of monitors you have, right? So, For example, one of our competitors says for the base plan, you get 50 monitors per month or, you know, whatever. You get 50 monitors included as part of your package. So that basically means that you could have five applications or six applications all sharing that same, um, that pool of tasks. Yeah. 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 And so you could spread that out. The way that, that we're doing it, because it is Laravel specific, we're going to do it per project or per application, which I think makes the most sense. And then when you set up a project, you can have as many scheduled tasks as you want within that project. And whether that's one one task or 20 tasks or a hundred tasks, it, it doesn't matter to us, right? It's it's all within the context of that project. And then we will say, you know, the, the number of log days you get. So we'll show you the last seven days or the last 14 days or the last 30 days, whatever the number is it. You know, it's just it's just records in a database so it's not really that important to me in terms of of what that is where it really comes into it is that you get a project um, or a number of projects and then for a for a business like if you're an agency for example we'll just say you know unlimited projects unlimited tasks and and go from there um so I think that's that's kind of the way to do it. I don't think there's any real reason to limit a project to say that you can have one project and 10 tasks because that's not, that's not how we build applications, right? We want to monitor our, our application. We don't want to monitor parts of our application and you don't want yeah, to have totally. to sit there and decide, oh, well, these 10 tasks are important, but these ones are not, I think if it's a scheduled task, it has a very specific purpose to your business and a very specific reason to be. So to, to to say that, you know, you have to decide which is an important task and which is not, I don't, I don't agree with, and it's not how I want my, like anything that runs in any of my tasks, horizon work and not horizon work, horizon snapshot. It's not important to me that the snapshot data exists so much as that the task that is there, like we want that data and we want to, we want to know that it's reliably running. Um, so, you know, I don't want to have to decide that we don't want to monitor that. Um, just tell me if it doesn't work, right? Because if it doesn't work, chances are that some other task isn't working either. Um, and so it's important to know that. So,
1: also, depending um, on the way that are just kind of based on the way that we're setting these things up, which is that like the best way I hate to use the word AI. It's not right. That's not the word, but it's basically it's automatic. Um, everything is automatic about it. So it's like it intelligently looks at all of the jobs that you have and automatically updates them on each deploy. So how would you even suss that out to say, like, like it would be so silly if, like, oh yeah, your project worked when you started, but that was when you only had 10 monitors. Now that you added a new one, what are you gonna do? Throw an error in the console, be like, We didn't we can't update your job yeah. list because you're over the limit. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think we want you to monitor. Is- yeah,
0: we want you to monitor your project. It's Correct. important that your pro- and as your project grows, naturally the number of tasks are going to grow, and it doesn't change the number of projects you have. We we do certainly have the ability because this was something that we considered very early on: was what if someone just gets like one project key and then uses that for multiple projects? Eh, won't work. You can try it uh and (laughs) you'll find out the hard way why that's not going to work so the yeah it's it's definitely there uh so you know one project one and 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 as many tasks as you have like whatever that's whether you have one or ten you know if you've only got one project chances are you don't have a thousand tasks in it most likely yeah Yeah. and so we do it that way no teams uh for for that But then if you go into another level where you've got multiple projects, chances are you're a little bit bigger and you need to share that stuff. So we'll let you have team access and and you get a number of team members. So it'll be, you know, 10 members or 20 members, whatever it is, um, whatever we decide. And you have uh, more than one project, right? So you have a number of projects, you have the ability to have team members and you can just invite people into that team and they can, you know, check there and they can set up notifications and all that kind of stuff. And then there'll be a third tier, which would just be the unlimited team members, unlimited projects, and unlimited monitors, and and off you go. So all of the features will be available to all of the tiers. I don't think it makes sense to to restrict the features. You, you want to know anything that fails in any of your projects, whether you've got one project. It could be one project that's generating you $10 million a year, right? So it's important that you have all of the features, whether your project is generating $10 million a year or $1,000 a year. Right, because sure. that thousand dollars is significant to you. If if that's what it's generating, then then you want to make sure that you're making that thousand dollars a year.
1: Yep.
0: So all of the features for all of the tiers, it's just how many projects you have access to and and how many team members or if or if you have team members.
1: Yeah. So it keeps our it keeps our feature list really simple, right? Um, or, or I guess the other, way to say it is like, you know, the feature differences or the tier differences are actually quite minimal. Like it really is like, there's only kind of two columns that are going to be different, which is the number of projects you have and the number of team members that have access to your projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind that's been kind of cool. Um, one other item that, uh, I wanted to talk about with tailwind and specifically on this homepage is. Uh, specifically in their pricing section, they use grids, like CSS grids. So we talked a little bit about this, you and I did. Um, What's your experience been with CSS grids? Have you been able to use them at all? Uh, The only place I've used grid is
0: when I copied and pasted some Tailwind UI stuff for a form. And that happened to have some grids in there. But uh, I have one time used CSS grid and Tailwind specifically to build a calendar. So I needed oh, really? to display nice. a calendar. And so that was the perfect thing because I need seven columns and however many rows I need. And there needs to be a nice gap around each of those things. And it took me a couple of minutes to like read the docs, figure out exactly what I needed, how to put the spacing in there, and, and that was it. Like it was done. And so now I've got this good looking calendar that that has the information I need in it ready to go for me. So Yeah, grid. That's is it. So that's nice. the extent of, of my yeah. of my gridding.
1: Yeah, so the cool thing is like if you just need to lay out a simple grid like that and each each one of your cells in that grid, for example, needs to take up or needs to be a specific space and, and whatnot, that grid works amazingly for that. And that's fine. It also works great for like if you're laying out like a actual, you know, we've had, I think, I don't know if Bootstrap was the first one to introduce grids, right? this idea of like columns and gaps and all those sorts of things, which is it's just great. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing that I really appreciate about grid that I think tailwind utilizes it well for um, maybe I think Uh, mm, now that I say that I'm not exactly sure if they actually do in their pricing section or not, but what it is is it's overlaps. So in the past you've had to use absolute positioning. If you ever wanted to do something where you wanted to have one position sort of, or one element sort of over top of another element, but sort of like just, to the side. So I'm trying to think of a good example of this.
0: We've used like negative margins to offset.
1: Yeah, sure. That's a good way to say it. That's different a good way to elements. It.
0: So I think a, a fairly common one that you see a lot is like a screenshot of a product that okay. that overlaps. So you wouldn't you would because you want it to overlap upwards. So it's like hanging over the, the top section and the bottom section. So you would actually render that outside. Of the top section and then use a negative margin to like hoist it up so that it sits over the two things, which breaks the flow of the document and things like that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So with grid, one of the nice things that you can do is you can actually specify the grid. So you can specify the width of every column. You can specify the width or the height of every row. And then you can arbitrarily place elements on this grid. So if you think about it, think about it like a bulletin board, almost if you will. And if you were to put lines on a bulletin board of yours, well, um, on a bulletin board, there's nothing saying that only one item can occupy a space on that bulletin board. You can kind of layer things on a bulletin board, Mm -hmm. right? So you could pin a picture underneath and you can pin a picture on top of that and another picture, you know, below that in the other corner. So you've established this grid, but you you can put anything arbitrarily on top of anything else. No problem with CSS grid. So it's pretty cool. So once you define this grid, you can say, okay, this element goes from... Uh, column one to column four. And then the next item, you can say it goes from column two to column eight. And those things overlap, right? Mm -hmm. They, They are underneath each other or over top of each other. And grid handles that with no problem. Like there's no hacks. With absolute positioning, one of the pieces is, one of the things is always like, it, you know, does it get cut off on the edge of the screen or do you get these weird bugs when you're in mobile or stuff like that? And grid is like a native solution to handle these sorts of, these sorts of unique situations where you have like overlaps and, um, and like Z indexes that need to be accounted for, but it doesn't feel like you're hacking around on stuff or just yeah. like, Oh, it works for this screen size, you know, cause you're not dealing with like percentage widths and stuff, percentage offsets that kind of change as the screen sizes change. Yeah. Um, uh, it just feels so much better. I feel like it's this like golden key being handed down from the CSS gods. Like, here you are. This is the way that you mm-hmm. do this now. And it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've been doing it for so long using absolute positioning and negative margins and percentages. Yeah. It's just like a little gift. Uh, that's, that's been kind of cool. It definitely is. So
0: yeah. it's nice. We've got a, a few little bits and pieces that we just need to to tidy up um, with with the landing page, but we're going to have it out. What does it say? It'll be out a couple of days after we release this episode. So on the 1st of August, well, actually, we hope to have this page out before the 1st of August, but on the 1st of August, we're going to start inviting some people that are already on the early access list to start using it just so that we can get some feedback. Um, I fixed up what I think hopefully to be the last of the small niggly bugs today when I was working on my talk for the Laravel meetup next month. Um, So the 1st of August, if you're on the list, we're going to start sending out some invitations, getting people into the early access. We'll reach out to you and and speak to you about, you know, what you're using it for and and the alerting. We're we're shipping with just email alerts for now um, just to get things up and running. And we'll probably run that way for a little while longer. Probably into September, just so that we can take the feedback from the early access users and things like that, and start getting some information in there. While it's in early access, we won't charge, um, you know, because you're you're going to be helping us out, making sure that we've got this product really polished. And then I'm presenting at the Laravel meetup on the 25th of August, and that is when right. we're going to launch.
1: One month from assuming the time we're recording this.
0: Yeah, basically one month from today. Um, assuming that all goes well with the early access and, and something isn't horrifically broken, that means we have to rewrite <laughs> huge chunks of the application. <laughs> we will, we will open it up um, and we will um, start doing that. So we'll probably have a, well, probably we we'll definitely have a launch offer, which will be lovely. That'll give you some discount off the monthly fee for some portion of time. Um, once, once you're in. So, if, if you're not really sold on monitoring your scheduled tasks, definitely check out the, the presentation at the at the Laravel meetup next month. Um, I go into a lot of detail about what specifically can and does go wrong with scheduled tasks, things that, that you and I, Jake, have seen in our own applications, things that sort of led to why we even spent the last, what October till now well it's basically been 12 months that on and off that we've been working on this
1: i just um, had to renew our domain
0: yeah <laughs> so it's been 12 months um and and you know talking about cron specifically like what is cron and and why laravel's task scheduler is nicer in a lot of ways and and some of the things that that we've bumped on things that you wouldn't you know maybe more experienced developers are aware of these things, but there's still things that can slip through the gaps. And if you're not monitoring, you don't notice these kinds of things, you won't ever see them. And there were things in in my main application at work that we just didn't have any visibility over, so we didn't know they weren't working um, or or they weren't working as we expected because there's various, various degrees of not working when it comes to scheduled tasks. Yeah, so I talk 100%. about... I talk about all of these things um, in in this presentation, so I hope hope that you learn. It's not it's not going to be a, a a talk about then ping me. It's going to be a talk about things that you need to think about when when you're working with scheduled tasks in in applications. So I will I will touch on then ping me right at the end. That's where the that we will announce officially the the launch and the there will be a Laravel meetup discount. To go along with it as well so yeah we cover a lot of stuff Well, i say we i cover a lot of a lot of stuff in this talk i move very quickly through lots of slides i've finished finished the slide deck now nice Uh, that's awesome which takes me to let me uh, it came along pretty
1: quick honestly overall i feel like for as many slides as you have let's i have i had
0: 192 slides that is the the final deck um, I, I, that is the completed deck as of right now. I may shuffle some things around and add and remove and change things. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to giving the presentation. As I was like building it out and coming across all these different things mm-hmm. and finding what we're doing, um, and and how these things can sort of be a little bit painful. It it really I th- I think it's going to be an informative talk, and and one one of the sort of more planned out and considered talks that I've ever given most of the time when I speak at my local meetup it's it's like two days before the meetup that I realize that I'm the one that is actually going to have to present and so I will make <laughs> something up in two days so this one has has been a little bit more planned out and a little bit more considered
1: yeah but the, sure. the, we one, the one
0: through. yeah the one key thing that I want to say is that monitoring is not error tracking when it comes to scheduled tasks
1: yeah yeah, that was that was something I feel like we got hung up on on a pretty uh, pretty early on. We kind of had to make that distinction. Be like, no, no, no. This is not error tracking. We're not we're not rebuilding sentry and bug snag, yeah. right? That's not what we're doing. Yeah. 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 Good good point. Good point. Hey man, um I feel like maybe we could talk about the Zangle pipelines thing real quick, just the library, and then maybe hang this one up. What do you yeah. think?
0: I think that sounds good.
1: Cool. Okay. So let me see if I can pull this stuff up real quick. So this handling complex data flows. So there's this, there's a post out there by Jesse Schutt and um, he kind of talks through how they use pipelines, just Laravel's default pipelines um, to take something that was previously in a controller that maybe you have uh, handled through private methods, but this sort of, these multiple things that need to be happening when a user signs up uh, for their Uh, you know, for a new account or something like that, right? So instead of trying to squash it all into private methods or even into separate jobs and things like that, they kind of break it up into three things. So they have the request and the response, which happens in the controller. So that's part one. Part two is the data itself. So what's like all the pieces of information that are coming in, username, passwords, errors, whatever. It's like a DTO, if you will. And then they have the logic that acts upon the data. So really the way that they break this up is they leave everything in the controller that needs to stay in the controller. They put the request into a DTO And then they have everything else run through pipes, which is essentially exactly, Michael, what you described last time I think we were on this show, which was how you broke up uh, the entire process of how we'd figure out if something needs to be alerted or uh, how we need to update the task versus the execution versus the project based on what type of ping we're getting in and those sorts of things. So pushing all of that data or all that logic flow into pipes, um, and so basically through this process, uh, they talk through some of the things that they discovered and they've created a nice little package out of this, um, Some of their out of some of their conclusions. So basically some of the things that it adds is, you know how I was saying before, it reminds me of the HTTP client that you get in Laravel now, uh, in a pipe right now, I believe in a pipeline uh, in Laravel. If you get an exception, it just kind of blows everything up, right? And then you can catch that on the outside if you care to. So you could wrap your entire pipeline in a try-catch um, mm-hmm. and then handle those exceptions on the outside. So you can catch the exception and then do whatever you need to do, just like you would with any other piece of uh, PHP code. Um, one of the other things you might consider doing as well is something like a database transaction. So it's very possible... Actually, probably typical that if you're passing a piece of data that is going to be persisted to your database through these pipelines, um, you don't really want to write that data unless it all works. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Correct. So this yeah. idea is, this idea of using a database transaction to handle a partially completed pipeline so you get halfway through and something blows up. Instead of having this weird record in your database that's not fully formed, um, instead you would just have a DB transaction. Uh, or start transaction and then if it fails and you catch it then you do db rollback otherwise you'd db commit Um, and so this pipeline package that they have handles those sort of database interactions and transactions for you so instead of calling um app pipeline and then through pipes uh then whatever you just say with their thing you say um new pipeline class and i think let me just look at it real quick actually it basically takes three arguments. It takes your traveler, your pipes, and then a true or false based on whether you want it to be using database transactions or not. Uh, then, if it blows up, it swallows that exception for you. And then at the end, you just have this you set the result of the pipeline equal to a, a variable, which would be called like response. And then mm-hmm. you can check at the end did it pass? Did it fail? Did I have an exception? What was the message of the exception, right? You can get the exception itself. So it kind of just wraps a lot of these things that are common common things you would want to do when using the pipeline flow um, and gives it to you in a nice little, nice little package format. And then also gives you some tips on how you can test as well. I know one of the things that I've had a problem with, um, Michael, I'm not sure if you had an issue with this or not. In in a pipeline situation that I have in a project that I work on, I'm actually passing the model itself through, through these pipes. But mm-hmm. what I found is that in a lot of the situations that I have, like halfway through those pipes, I actually need like an additional piece of information that's not on the model itself. And so the question then becomes, well, do I pass an additional parameter to the rest of my pipes, like, or how does that work right like how do i do i switch out which parameter i'm passing through this sort of middleware stack almost Mm. um and so the solution that they have is basically you register this dto that then will accept your model item and then you can kind of pin on any other additional things that you want to pass through the rest of the pipes Uh, so you don't have to worry about like what is it you're passing through you just have this fully formed DTO that knows in this list of pipes, I'm going to need these three things at some point. And then you can set or get those out of that DTO at any point in your pipeline. So they—they, they, I guess what I'm saying is the between the blog post and the uh, open source package, I feel like a lot of the things that I've run into when using pipelines previously have been uh, made a little bit easier and um, have basically brought to light some solutions that, Otherwise, you wouldn't determine or you wouldn't find for yourself unless you've kind of used them in a real world application. yeah, so yeah, I just thought I'd give a quick shout out to that. Yeah, I found
0: yeah. It in in then ping me with the the pipelines, most of the stuff that I was using was tacked off the the traveler, so it was a single traveler model, so it was easy enough to just load it and then because you pass that variable onto the next yes class in the in the pipeline. You don't have to, because it's all happening in a single. It's not like it's going onto a queue and then off a queue and on. So it doesn't right, It doesn't exactly. lose what's on that model. You're passing the same instance through. So if you load another relationship and then return that to the next handler, well, it knows, you know, all that stuff's already loaded. It's if you start bringing in extra things that are separate. Like if you needed to load a second model or you needed to make an API request or something like that, then that, that the that's where the DTO, me. yeah. And that's I needed, where I had
1: an API request that I had to make, and I mm-hmm. had to pass that data along with it. But it wasn't, I didn't need all of the data from the API request in the model. I just, but I did need it for later on in, in my pipeline. So,
0: yeah. And this is where I came up with the notion of an alertable. Was it an alertable? Yes. or It was something. Yes. Yeah. Something yep. like that, where it's like, this is the thing that needs to get shunted through the entire pipeline. And so that's where that happened and that was effectively my traveler DTO where it was the thing that I could attach things to and, and things like that. So I think it I think it worked really nicely in the end. Um I Muhammad agree. didn't when I was talking to him about it, he didn't seem to recoil in horror too much. So I think I must have done okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I I think what you're saying about like keeping it kind of in the same. And then we talked about this a little bit before, too, is that like, you know, you're queuing that initial job. So like it could be retried if you needed to, but -hmm. you're not queuing all the additional pipes. Each one of them is like a queued thing. So you don't have to worry about that. So that's nice. Yeah. Well, hey, I think that about wraps it for us. Uh, Mm. This was episode
0: 108. Just kidding. That brings us right right to our wonderful sponsor, Fathom Analytics. Yes. Yes, yes. You can do it this week. You you haven't sure, spoken absolutely. about it for a while. they've
1: actually had some pretty cool stuff uh, recently. Uh, are they they've been killing with their blog posts. Have you noticed that? Uh, lots of blog, blog posts, posts recently, are
0: very in depth. They've got lots of things to say. I've been speaking with Jack as well. They're looking at in their next iteration to essentially just dump MySQL and do everything in Elasticsearch, which is interesting. So it'd be cool and to then, see. Ev-
1: and then eventually DynamoDB. Yeah. Which was also interesting. So Adam Wathen has a full stack radio out there on Dynamo DB. I just listened to it the other day. It seems very interesting, but also you quite even a bit further different behind
0: than, on podcasts than I.
1: Yeah, well, I it is true, um, <laughs> but it was actually very timely because it was like, yeah, it, it, well, it was while i going when I was going to pick up a couch. It was that's a whole other story, but. Um, <laughs> It's um but anyway. it's
0: interesting because there's no like development environment for DynamoDB as far as I know. Like DynamoDB is in AWS and you have to just use it there. I think.
1: Oh uh, yeah, about right, that. well there I think there is a Java like applet you can right, n- install okay. that will kind of provide a local version of it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Right. Yep, yep. So yeah, they talk about their tech stack and their blog. They also talk about the Cloudflare outage. Um they talk about their 1-year review of Laravel Vapor and how they've been using that. Uh, they also talk about their competition. It seems like there's been popping up a, a bunch of people um recently. <laughs> it's like one of those things where like once you buy a you buy a yellow Mustang and you notice how many yellow Mustangs there are out there on the road, right? Like until then mm-hmm. that you never saw them. Like they were out there but you never saw them. It's like And I think they're kind of looking at the same thing like, wow, it's like there's a bunch of privacy-focused analytics companies popping up all over the place all of a sudden. Uh, But the great news is there's an amazing team behind this one. And they've got a really good head start on their competition, I think. So if you're interested in using Fathom, uh, it's a fast, simple, and privacy-focused analytics platform. It is built on Laravel. And built by some of our really good friends. So if you're looking for something as an alternative to Google Analytics so that you can stop scrolling through pages and pages of reports and especially collecting lots of personal data about your visitors, you should definitely check out uh, Fathom Analytics. It gives you simple website analytics. There's no cookies notice. So when you have that cookies bar along the bottom, um, based on that uh, EU law that passed a couple of years ago, you don't have to have that anymore because you're not collecting cookies. It's not a thing. Uh, you hit unlimited websites. You can be assured that everything is ready for large surges of traffic, and they can completely handle that because they scale automatically because they're built on top of vapor. But you get this one-page real-time snapshot look at all of the traffic coming to your site with all the metrics that are important Uh, And interesting to you all on a single page. And so instead of having to dig through tons and tons and tons of stuff, you can just check it out right on the front page. They also have a demo you can see at any time, which I think points to Paul Jarvis's page, which has basically the dashboard that you would see uh, in real time with all the visitors that are coming to his site, as well as where they're coming Mm from, mobile versus desktop, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty cool. So if uh, Fathom is something you're interested in checking out, you can go to useFathom.com slash North. You will get a I think a twenty dollar uh credit towards your bill mm-hmm. and um let me see here and then a free 14 day trial as well. So it's pretty generous. So 14 days for free and then twenty dollars off of your uh your first month's bill. So you get you know 14 days plus a month, I think. So pretty generous yeah. offer. You should definitely go check that out, usefathom.com slash north. Thanks, guys. Yeah, definitely. And uh, don't forget to check out our
0: website, thenping.me. You can jump on there at the moment and plug in your email address. Disregard the fact that it says sign up for early access for a beta that is opening in October. That was actually meant to be last October, and uh, (laughs) we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into this time last year. So definitely get that in there. Join the people that are on the list and when we start rolling out the invitations on the 1st of August, hopefully we can get you in and you can start testing it out and let us know how good it is, how bad it is, whether you're going to continue using it, whether you wish it never existed. Um, and It'd be interesting to see how, how many people turn up the issues that, that we kind of didn't know existed until we were running these things on our app. So it'd be yeah. interesting to see how, how that goes for people. Um, yeah. I suspect there will be a few people out there that will have not broken things, but just things that you you don't know would be affecting your application until you were monitoring it.
1: Yeah, I think, we'll, I think it'll be actually surprising to people. Honestly, I really do. Anybody who's got mm-hmm. an app that's like semi-complex that has a lot of scheduled jobs, you'll probably find something. You'll probably find something. Mm-hmm. Well, this was episode 80 thanks so much for tuning in you can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio or north south northmeetsouth yeah northmeetsouth.audio uh, slash 80 uh, is that right you're looking at me like i'm weird is that right
0: because you don't okay. remember our website
1: i know every single time it's every week i don't know if you notice that uh, <laughs> you can also talk to us on twitter at jacob and michael twitter or at north south audio and then you can uh, give us five stars on your podcatcher of choice. That'd be really appreciated. We would, uh, we will thank you individually. Do that. We'll thank you on the show. Yeah. Great. yeah. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Amazing. Bye all.